I'm tired of reading from her point of view. I'm tired of her as a character. I'm just <laughs> literally the second away. time we literally. see. Her. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I think the problem is that she's so irredeemable, right? Like there's no growth happening. There's no like self-reflection. There's no I can't with her. I can't. I can't. All right, all right, all right. We, we have to save in. save some for the the episode. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 24, Rainwild Traders. And we have a Malta chapter number two. Number two, which is fitting considering that's how I feel about this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to preface this episode to try to avoid some of the things that we did last time when we talk about Malta is just like the sighing and being like, she's the worst. She's the worst. Cause I feel like our feelings have already been made clear about that. Yeah. And there will be some, like, there's no doubt about it. There will be some, how could you Malta? You're absolutely terrible. But I just want to say, preface it, Emma and my opinion about Malta is that she is a garbage human being <laughs> at this point. <laughs> True. Before the episode was was rolling, before we were recording for it, Emma was like, I feel fine saying I hate her because she's not real, <laughs> even though she's 13. <laughs> like, I would never, even if there's a child that I don't like making choices I don't like, I'm not ever going to say that I hate a child or, like, be mad at their choices or call them names or anything because they're a child, they're learning, they're growing. But this is an imaginary child who is curated to be frustrating and so because she is not real i'm comfortable saying i'm not a fan yeah (laughs) do not like no redemption (laughs) so this chapter isn't as bad as the dress one i don't think uh with her i almost think it's worse in some ways in this one she's more childish she's not as scheming ish yeah i think this one highlights how young she truly is. Yeah. And I think it also highlights how poor of a judge she is of doing anything. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just like in that way, it makes it worse because at least before it felt like there's a brain behind the thoughts and the actions, you know, like even though she did things maliciously and it wasn't right and I don't agree with what she was doing or the way she went about it, there was still thought behind it and there was still this sense of like, I'm a young adult coming into my own and I'm trying to figure out the best way to do that. And then this chapter feels more like I'm still a child, but I'm adamant that I'm not. Yeah. And that's such a big difference and that makes this more insufferable to me. Okay, okay. So I, yeah, don't know. I can definitely see that. <laughs> Still don't like either of them, but <laughs> I wanted to get that preface out of the way so we maybe reduce it a little bit. <laughs> we'll during... try not to be so hard on her. I mean, we're gonna be hard on her, but we're, yes. we won't be as whiny about it. I guess <laughs> we won't whinge. All right. So as we said, this is a Malta chapter. It is from Malta's point of view, and we are into the scene with. Ronica, you know, Kefria doing Ronica's hair or yes. something. Yes, Kefria doing Ronica's hair. They're getting ready for a gathering. And they're very snippy with each other. Yeah. 
So Malta says there was a big gathering of old traders, and they were taking Malta with them. So we find out later that this big gathering was called by the Rainwild traders. This is out of the ordinary. This is where she meets Rain for the first time. So we were discussing in the early parts of this book how she meets that him. Like, I thought they were presented at a ball or something. But no, she was just at a gathering that the Rainwild traders called together to discuss the satraps issues, which we'll get into and this is how she meets the Cooperses. Right. It's also a little bit ironic that this is the things that we've seen as steps to make Malta more accountable and grow up a little bit and see that it's being a grown up isn't just new dresses and boys. There's right. actually a lot more to being an adult. So this is the first action that we're seeing of that. And clearly it has been going on for some time because it's a Robin Hobb book. So we haven't seen the full process of it. We're kind of just skipping from the last conversation with Kefria and Ronica about her getting more responsibilities to the first kind of big outing of responsibility. And the irony here is that they're trying to save her from being taken from the Rainwild people too early. And yet they put her right in the path of Rainwild right. people. And in this beginning area. It's really interesting because clearly things are tense in the Vestrit household, uh, not just because, you know, there's that kind of power struggle, the change of Kefria taking over more and her mother trying to seed power, which would be a struggle anyway, but especially so because we know Ronica is so headstrong and thinks she knows best all of the time. But also we learn through Malta's point of view that there is no money they are really running low on funds to be able to pay off the debts that they owe. And Malta does make a comment that she's sick of them both being so crabby. It seemed to her that all they focused on was the sad side and the war the side of life and the worrying parts. And instead of being excited about a big gathering, they're acting as if the whole thing were some worrisome chore instead of a chance to get out and see people and talk. Which, again, I think really highlights the naivety of a child that why are they so worried they get to go out into the world and talk to people? Who cares why? Instead of realizing like, oh, this thing is a really important meeting where we're discussing our futures and what could go wrong. And she's just like, ooh, tea and crumpets. <laughs> and the whole, yeah, the whole background of this scene, the the whole background conversation is you know, coming into a conversation in the middle of it with Ronica saying, because anything out of the ordinary rattles me, that's why. So obviously Kefria's asking like, what's got you so worried? Things like that. There's obviously things kind of out of place. They're both kind of jumpy at this situation because it's not normal for Rainwild traders to call a gathering. So we see kind of in the background and you can read between the lines that, Things are a little weird with this situation, but Malta's all like, why are they worrying? This is a perfect opportunity to do stuff. She's thinking of it like a party. Like, sure, there's going to be some boring talk, but ultimately we're there to party and it's going to be so fun. Yeah. And she's, because she thinks it's a party, she spent like all day getting her dress ready and, and looking just right. But now her mom and her grandmother are dressing right at the last minute. And how dare they like, come on and ask the stupid... Uh, child questions are you ready yet are we there yet you know the let's get on to the party i don't want to be the last ones there i need to talk to dello and maybe serwin well serwin will definitely be there but 
And she'll sit by Dello and it won't be hard to convince Dello to sit next to Serwin so that she can talk to him. And she's planning out this whole little social scene and not really taking it seriously as an adult task, which was the purpose behind her mother and grandmother bringing her. They're trying to get her to be more adult, to see what being adult means and the seriousness of it. And instead, she's taking every opportunity to prove she is not ready to be an adult. Yeah. By not taking it seriously. She says that she doesn't understand why Rainwild and Trader business discussion would make them so distressed. And instead of asking what's distressing about it or trying to understand that, she's like, clearly it's because they're crazy women and they don't know anything. Instead of being like, hmm, maybe there's a reason that the adults are upset and I should figure that out. Right. Which pretty frustrating. <laughs> so she's talking about them getting ready and how long it's taking. And it would be much faster if they each had a servant to lay out everything for them beforehand and help them get ready. But grandma insisted that we no longer could afford them and mama had agreed. And when Malta had argued, they had made her sit down with a big stack of tally sticks and receipts and try to make sense of them in one of the ledger books. She had muddled the page and grandma made her copy it over. And then they had wanted to sit around and talk about what the numbers meant and why the numbers said they couldn't have servants anymore. Only Nana and Rach. Malta would be very glad when Papa got back. She was sure there was something they were missing. It made no sense to her. How could they suddenly be poor? Nothing else had changed. Yet there they were, in robes at least two years old, dressing one another's hair and snipping at each other as they did it. Can we go soon? She asked again. She didn't know why they wouldn't answer. So this this whole chapter from her point of view is also her asking questions or saying things and then the adults not answering her back. In her mind, they're purposely ignoring her. But if I was one of them, I would also ignore Malta. <laughs> so right. I get the, it. The problem isn't that she's asking questions and they're ignoring her. The problem is that the questions she's asking aren't conducive to learning. They're not she doesn't want to understand. She wants them to give her what she wants. And not paying attention as to the real reason why and just assuming it's fake. It's so odd to me that she doesn't trust them when they say things like maybe because I was as a kid, somebody who just trusted adults all the time. I just like assumed they were telling the truth. <laughs> and maybe that made me a little bit more naive. But Malta just assumes that her mom and grandma lie to her all the time. Anything that they're saying can't be right. Either they're lying or they're too dumb to understand the situation and her or, dad will fix it. Or they're just berating her for no reason. Right. right. She has no concept of why this could be wrong. And I don't understand how she could sit there and look at the numbers and see the numbers and then have them try to explain to her and be like, that's too, uh, that's too boring. And I don't care about that. I still don't understand the problem. It's like, well, you're not trying to understand the problem. They're explaining it to you and you're not listening because you want a different answer. Right. Exactly. And so. And she's been spending money in town, you know. Right. On and her daddy's dime because her dad would never say anything that they were broke or anything to her. Right. And she's saying, you know, how can we suddenly be poor? Nothing changed. And the thing is, a lot of things have changed. She's just an adult now and gets to know what has changed. And it's so hard because. She's fighting so hard against every aspect of being an adult that I don't understand why she keeps trying to push that she's ready to be an adult. Uh, she's a kid. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So uh, Kefria gets annoyed and sends her off to check to see if the carriage is here because Devad Restart is bringing them. 
Of course, Malta is very upset at that and says anyone but him. And she wanders off, eventually stopping in a side closet and admiring herself in the mirror without doing the task that Kefria told her to do. She's saying like, oh, I look so good, you know, what, blah, blah, blah. She's thinking in her head about what she would do at the social party, you know. She hadn't seen Sirwin since the day Mother had insisted on showing him around the garden room, but that didn't mean that Sirwin was no longer interested. So she has like this whole plan. She's like looking for this stuff and she just gets completely distracted. She also is talking about how she wants to get there early because she knows that they usually get there near the end, which means business will have started. So there won't be time for any fun. So in some way, she understands that this is a serious business meeting, but mostly she doesn't. She thinks they're just missing the party. Not that it's the boring adult talk, which I understand. She's no, yeah. 12, 13. So I, I get that. <laughs> yeah, it would be boring adult talk. It definitely is boring adult talk, but that's what she's saying. She wants by dressing as a woman. And that's what her family is trying to tell her and she's ignoring that part she's like no i don't have to do that i just get to do the fun stuff of being an right. adult and like nope <laughs> and we also learn actually that she is dressing the part of an adult she is being decorated still as a child with flowers only but also like quick break in there before i continue Children, like the little girls or whatever, get decorated with flowers that are grown in their gardens like year round. So they get just like fresh flowers they get to pick and just like adorn on themselves. Right. Which is pretty rad. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I love that. (laughs) But anyways, she is getting dressed as an adult. She has a new trader's robe. And this is like an adult trader's robe. It's very austere, like rounded collars and, you know, is belted at the waist like a monk's robe, Malta says. So it's very traditional. It is the adult garb. But she is not being recognized yet as a woman because they have not presented her. And that was kind of the the agreement. Remember the last conversation that Kefria and Ronica had about Malta? Kefria said, like, I'm making some changes. I'm taking charge of Malta. She's going to learn all these things. She's not presented yet, but she's going to need some new clothes. So this right. is one of those things. She's starting to learn numbers, and she is being shown... From her, from her mom that, yes, we are teaching you how to become a woman. You're on your way, but you're not there yet. So, like, don't lash out and don't make a new dress for yourself or anything. We're, we're heading that direction. Just, right. Just patience. Right. And she does mention that her robe is a magenta color, which is typically the Vestrit family color. So we get to learn a little bit about the culture and that all the trader families have specific colors that they wear and that that's just your family color. And Malta, in the childish way that she has, says that she wishes she had a blue to wear instead, but I guess magenta is fine. Instead of being like, oh yeah, magenta is like our family color. (laughs) Um, Because she's a haven. True. It's a deep magenta, I should say. I'm... It's so funny because I feel like magenta is kind of pink, right? Mm. Maybe I'm just thinking of the dog from Blue's Clues named Magenta that is a pink dog. Yeah, magenta is more like a red as far as I understand, right? Pink is in the red family. Right, but not... <laughs> but yeah, I thought it... Like a... Like, like a, a hot pink. purplish red. It's like, well, I guess... I don't know if hot Depending pink on the it. shade. Yeah. It's close to a hot pink to me. It's anywhere from like a dark purple, which I'm assuming is what uh, I'm assuming is what Robin Hobb is saying. It's like a very a deep magenta. Yeah, yeah it's like a, a reddish purple. 
It does say that she has adorned her hair with the last tiny roses that still bloomed and they're deep red and it kind of matches the robe. So it's a traditional color there and she is happy that she gets to have dress up clothes, but also it's like, this isn't the kind of dress I really want, but this will do for now. And she describes how she has kind of worked with what she has to make herself look more sexy. She's belted the waist, the belt super tight and made it so that the fabric pulls against her bosom and makes her waist look snatched, as today's kids would say. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) jeez. But she wants to make sure everybody knows that she is a woman and her even if her parents won't and her family members won't let her appear as one. And then the door is uh, grabbed open abruptly and her mom is standing there saying, like, everyone's waiting for you. Like, what are you doing here? Let's go. Devad was waiting by his carriage. He rang the bell and you weren't listening. Let's go. We're, we're waiting. So Malta being like, oh, let's go. We need to go fast. And then just getting lost in her own image is. Yeah, she's oh, it's just such a Malta thing. Yeah. Very, very looks driven. Yeah. But this is where we learn from Kefria that it was the Rainwell traders who called the meeting. And she says that they don't ask for an audience of all the old traders without good cause. So this is what is worrying Kefria and Ronica. There is something that needs to be discussed. Why are they calling it out of, you know, out of order with like the balls and things like that? This is a serious kind of meeting and we need to go. So we get as readers the image that Kefria and Ronica are worried about this. Right. And Kefria mentions that it is cold out, so they have to bring a cloak. And Malta's all sad. She has to bring a cloak. And then on top of the fact that she's like, no, wear your coat, which very mother thing to do and a very child thing to be like, I'm not going to be cold. And then your mom is right. And you have to be like, oh, no, I'm fine. <laughs> but anyway, there is also this talk when she's saying, you know, it's cold, but it's also an important thing. And we need to go now. There is going to be talk and she goes into a spiel that apparently she's given Malta already six times today about do not stare at these people. Do not talk to them. Do not get in their way. Be appropriate. And Malta cuts her off saying yes, mother. And then has the thought, did she think Malta was deaf or stupid? Hadn't she been told ever since she was born that they were kin to the Rainwild families? That reminded her. As they went out of the door past the stern-faced Nana, Malta began... I've heard that the Rainwild folk have a new wear, flame jewels, and it goes into this thing. So she's all upset that her mom is treating her like a child, thinking she's dumb or deaf because she's not, she's repeating the same thing over and over. And then instead of thinking about how maybe I should worry about how I conduct myself, she's like, who cares about that? Think about this new thing that we could buy. This Reach flame towards jewel. the shiny. <laughs> yes. It's just so, ugh. Setting up the conversation for later, but yeah, bringing up flame jewels is a new thing that, as we know, as re-readers, the Cooper's family has sole ownership over. They are small jewels. They have a tongue of flame that dances in them with different colors. And Malta, of course, as a young woman who is very interested in the new fashions, is all about flame jewels. Her mother, of course, does not answer says, thank you, Devad, or whatever. They they get into the carriage, and Malta again tries to bring up, 
About the flame jewels, she began hopefully, but Trader Restart started speaking as if she weren't even there. So again, she's kind of getting steamrolled by the adults, not getting answered, but like it's stupid questions, really. It's like it's not pertinent. It's not the time or place. Yeah. It's there's something very serious going on, and she wants to gossip about the newest Rainwild product. I mean, I get why she's frustrated because yes, if like in, in any ordinary sense, if they weren't in dire straits financially, if she wasn't such a problem child, I would 100% want Kefria to, like, have a conversation with her daughter about her daughter's interests. Like, definitely. Like, explain right. to him, like, yeah, this is a new thing. Obviously, as we find out later in the scenes, Kefria does know about Flame Jewels. Mm-hmm. She talks to Janie Kupris. However, or Janie, whatever, uh... However, she doesn't even interface with Malta at all about it because they have those worries and Malta should be able to pick up on that. Right. It's, I don't, I feel like if she would have brought it up at some other time, then they would have had a conversation about it. It would have been fine. But because she's choosing now being like, oh, as we're speaking of the Rainwild traders, here's this thing I want to know about that has nothing to do with anything and also isn't important and something that can't wait to find out. Like it's again, it just shows her youthfulness and childishness that she can't understand that right now isn't really a time to be talking about new products right now. They need to be focusing on preparing for whatever it is that this meeting is about. Right. And it's definitely not about the new, the newest thing that they're going to be selling out of the rain wild <laughs> forest. It's, Obviously something much more serious and Malta just cannot believe that they're ignoring her. But I agree. I feel like maybe they should have just been like, we'll talk about it later. Like they could at least acknowledge that she's talking and say, you know, like now's not really time. Let's talk later. But also we know just based off of how we've read Malta that probably wouldn't settle her either. It's no, not like she would stop yeah. talking about it or be like, oh, I totally understand. Sorry. She would just be like, I can't believe they're not telling me. It's probably something that they're hiding from me. Right. And then would keep bringing it up anyway. <laughs> so maybe they have told her to stop talking about it before. True. True. So they are in Devadra Start's carriage, all driving to this trader gathering. And he is talking about how you can't find good servants anymore. It almost makes you wish slavery was legal in Bingtown, blah, 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 blah restart talk you know (laughs) the typical and uh her mother and grandmother listened at most they only politely differed with him even though she had heard her grandmother say a hundred times that she thought slavery would ruin bingtown not that malta agreed with her she was sure papa would not have become involved with it if it were not profitable still she thought it rather spineless the way her grandmother said one thing at home and then didn't stand up to her views with with restart the strongest thing she said was Devad, I have only have to imagine myself a slave to know that it is wrong. Which I thought was a very interesting conversation to have uh, and thought for Malta to have. One, that hearing, you know, the very, very self-centered and traitor, especially Kyle way to look at things of like, this will ruin Bingtown. It's like, oh, but it's profitable. The only thing that would ruin it is if it wasn't profitable when her grandmother is talking about morally. Right. And to the very true response of like, why is grandmother being such a hypocrite? It's pretty spineless of her to do this. We know the reason because she's an adult and has to keep up these you know, social niceties, social niceties and have a link to somebody who is still associating with them because 
the Vestrids don't have much means right now. I think they sold off their carriage, you know? Like, right. <laughs> so they kind of need these connections. But it is true. She is kind of spineless if she's going to bend her morals and be like, yeah, I'll accept somebody who thinks slavery is okay. The help of somebody who thinks slavery is okay. Because we need it. I mean, I don't see it that way. I think that's how Malta sees it for sure. But I don't think Malta, number one, is paying enough attention to be a good enough judge. And number two, understanding enough of the situation to be a good judge. She's just really naive and doesn't really know how social standings work and what is going on in adult conversations and how sometimes when you're adult and when you're an adult, you say things a certain way and that means a certain thing. Like there's... Talking as adults can sometimes be more of a dance than when you're a child, because when you're a child, you just say the thing that you're thinking. It's a lot more nuanced. Yeah. And so I think she's not exactly the best judge in this instance. I also, like you, thought it was really interesting that she specifically says, my father wouldn't trade in it if it wasn't profitable, as if the reason her grandmother doesn't like it is because she doesn't think it will be profitable. And her grandmother isn't thinking about the profit part of it. Her grandmother is thinking about, like you said, the morality, the humanity side of it, and how the thing that would ruin Bingtown is having people who are treated as less than people. And Malta doesn't even understand that part. Like, it's almost like Malta can't connect slavery to the people being affected by slavery. She's just seeing it as a good to be traded because that's what her father's doing. And so her father could never be wrong. Right. And it's a child's approach to things like right. similar to the conversations we were had where, you know, Rana was, Ronica was walking through the market and someone got hit and Wintrow, when he was walking through the slave market in Jamalia and he sees the horrors for the first time, you're as a child, especially as a child, if something is the way it is, you just accept it that way. Right. Unless you like have really strong opinions and you're like, no, it can't be that way. Or it goes against your way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Malta was raised by Kyle. And not saying that like Kyle from when she was a kid instilled in her like, yeah, slaves are a good thing or anything like that. Right. It, it's just that if it if they are slaves... There must be a reason why, so might as well use the slaves. They're obviously supposed to be that way, right? right? Just accept it, and it's profitable, so keep on doing it. It's not the no one should be slaves. It's like, why wouldn't we use them? Right. No, I think, and I think it's also important to remind us all that because Malta is so young, she probably hasn't lived in a place where she remembers they're not being slaves because slaves isn't a brand new problem. This is something that has gotten really bad in this recent past few years. But even that, the past few years, Malta was like six, four years ago. Well, no, not quite. But like (laughs) (laughs) she was like eight, four years ago. So like even if it started when she was eight, that's still kind of the time where you're just starting to pick up your surroundings. Right. I mean, obviously you notice things before then, but if there's this like subtle change from no slaves to slaves, you're. And, and slaves have been in Chalced for a long time. So, and they live next, next to Chalced. And her dad's from Chalced or his family is at least. Yeah. So it's not like it would be this new thing to her. 
it's something that's been happening for a while in Bingtown. And because she's so young, it's all she knows. So of course she's not looking at it as people don't deserve to be treated that way because she already doesn't think of them as people. And that's kind of a, a sad thing to think. And it does, I think, make her a little bit more sympathetic as a character maybe to like, she doesn't just think that they're less than because she's higher than thou. It's because she's a child and doesn't know anything different. Right. And I don't, so, but, but anyway, because she has that and doesn't understand the nuance of adult conversation, she, I don't think she's giving full credit to Ronica. I think the fact that Ronica is willing to push back against Devad at all is not agreeing. She's disagreeing, albeit politely. I think that's still really big of her considering she's a woman in a society where women don't have very much power and she's still saying no against a man. Like, yeah, I feel like I, I, I definitely agree that it is strong with her. I just don't think it's strong for that reason because Ronica, as we've seen from her point of view, does not have a high opinion of Devad. True. And has constantly pushed back against him. And he just kind of accepts it because he doesn't think it's like a faux pas or anything like that. Right. But I don't think it's because I don't think she's strong for doing it because she's a woman in a male dominated society or anything. I think she's strong for it because that is like their only friend who keeps coming to them. Fair. Yeah, like their only fair. connection to any sort of wealth or well-being at this point. Yeah. Uh, because I don't I don't think, you know. It is from our from our 21st century perspective that is very strong of her to do that. Yeah. But I don't think that appears in Ronica's head. I I really I don't think Ronica would care about that. No. That aspect of it. I think it would just be like I need to keep up social ties where I can, any connections and good being or well-being. But Devad like I'm just he just needs to get pushed back against. <laughs> right. But I don't know. I I just think it's interesting that that she's being called spineless by Malta because it's not as though she's not backing her morals. And like, also how hard are you going to push against somebody when you're trapped in the carriage that they're letting you use with them? Right. Yeah. Again, it's like one of those adult things. They're kind of in a trapped situation, but at least she's still saying, I don't think it's right. Mm -hmm. Which comes back to what you said before about there being nuance and Malta doesn't quite get that yet because right. she's, as we said in, earlier in this episode, this is about her being very childlike. Right. And I do, I do want to say, like, I personally feel like Ronica should go harder. Like, obviously, slavery is bad. <laughs> Newsflash. And I, like, wish she would be stronger and more opinionated about it. But I'm also realizing that the situation they're in doesn't really call for her ability to be able to stand up and say, slavery is bad and I think that you need to stop talking about it. So like, I don't know, I think, so I don't want to make it sound like I'm like, no, it's good enough that she's just politely disagreeing. Like I wish she did more, but I also understand, I don't think it makes her spineless that she is doing it to the best of her ability within the confines of the society that they live in. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was interesting that even though Malta disagrees with her view, she was still talking about the moral standpoint of her grandmother Yeah, and like how her grandmother seemed hypocritical about not pushing back as hard as she does in private, which is a very interesting stance to take because she doesn't agree with the view and because of what we know about Malta mm. of how she's like, everything is, you know, as my father says, like that's the, the truth of the matter. 
maybe it's because she doesn't agree with Devad even more and like hates Devad so much. Right. She doesn't. That, that she's giving any sort of credence to her grandmother's arguments in this situation. But either way, it's it's a comment on how you should always stand up for what you believe in and loudly which I thought was very interesting and it's separate from what we've seen from Malta's character of lying to get your way and things like hey. that. Yeah, that's that's a good point, I guess. But either way, she is enduring this carriage ride. Right. She hates this. This is the worst. It's a bunch of adults talking about grown-up things and she can't stand it. And also she hates Devad. She has not forgiven him for ruining her big becoming a woman moment. <laughs> And eventually they arrive at the location, takes her every bit of self-control to wait for Devad to open up the door. And then she bounds down and starts striding up where her mother calls after her, Malta, stay there. We're going to walk in together. And Malta is very upset that her mom, of course, is going to do this on purpose and call to me and rebuke me as if I was a child. Even though Malta is a child and doesn't want to walk with her family into the concourse. <laughs> right. Like, oh, yeah, it's definitely super adult to run, o- run out of the carriage without getting help like you should as a lady and then sprint towards the door towards people instead of waiting and calmly walking towards the door with your family who you're supposed to be representing. <laughs> and like, so, and so when, girl, she what? Does, when she does wait, she does the the trailing after them. Far enough away where she's not with them, but not far enough away where her mother has to, like, stop and wait for her. (laughs) Right. It's so dumb. It's, like, (laughs) aggravating because at every chance she's like, I'm such an adult. I can't believe they won't treat me like an adult. And then two seconds later, she's acting like a child and is like, oh, yeah, I don't want to be like them. This is boring. I hate this stuffy conversation. It's like, that's what being an adult is. <laughs> like, You can't want to be an adult if you don't understand what being an adult is. So we have Malta walking up to the concourse. We get a description that it is pretty dark. And we once again get to hear her thoughts about the Rainwild traders. We heard them a little bit before in her other uh, perspective talking about how her grandfather was so brave to shake hands with one of these warty people. And obviously they're hiding their looks and don't want people seeing them because they're so hideous and ugly. And it's just showing that xenophobia, that, that fear and the kind of hatred. It's not quite that strong of an emotion from her. I don't think as hatred, but it's a fear of how they look pretty much. Right. They're different. They're very ugly. No one wants to see them. Why do we have to talk to them kind of deal with her? Right. It's And it's so interesting, right? Because she has these very strong, like, they're not aesthetically pleasing. They're creepy. They're warty gross. Warty and deformed. Yeah, warty and deformed. And so they're disgusting and I hate that we have to deal with them at all. And yet minutes before she's been so upset because she can't even talk about the flame jewels, which come from those warty, deformed, crazy people she doesn't want to talk to. You can't have it both ways. You can't say we shouldn't have to deal with these people, but also I want all of the goods that they are finding and and selling. Right. It's, again, a very childish way to look at the world. <laughs> so Malta is lagging behind the group as they're walking up, and another carriage pulls up behind Devadra Start's carriage. 
And she lags behind to see who's getting out of it because she's very curious about this social aspect of everything. Six people get out. It has a crest that she is unfamiliar with on the side. And all of these people are cloaked and hooded in dark colors. But as each stepped out, the touch of a gloved hand to collar or cuff set tiny amber, red, and orange lights to flickering at each location. The hair stood up on the back of her neck, and then she realized what they were. Flame jewels. Malta halted where she stood. Oh, the rumors of them could not do them justice. She caught her breath and stared. The closer she came, the more magnificent they were. Malta? She heard the warning in her mother's voice. So, Malta just complained about her mom telling her a million times before, a a million times today, to not stare at these people, to not get in their way, to not be rude. And she was upset. And she's like, what? Does she think I'm deaf or stupid? (laughs) Um, clearly you're stupid because you did that. You (laughs) you did exactly what your mom told you all day not to do that. You were complaining like, of course I know not to do that. And then the second they appear, you just decide, oh, instead of taking a quick glance and being like, that's cool. I'll look at it later. You stop where you're, you're walking and stare at them as they approach you. What? is she doing like there's no the cognitive dissonance for her to be like this is different because i like the flame jewels like i have to uh, i have to keep reminding myself that she's like 12 or 13 and that's in no way an intelligent stage of life right (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it's still oh it's so frustrating but like that's old enough to know better that's old enough to know you don't stare at people sure in public old enough to know better but i don't think old enough to actually follow through with that i don't know i think that's (laughs) maybe i guess it's been a long time since i've been around a 12 year old no not that long my little brother he's not much older than 12 now my youngest but like i don't i think if i told him hey don't stare at people he would not stare at people i feel like that's a good not like it's not i don't know Uh, yeah eight okay a little young a little young to when you're like please don't stare at people and they do anyway like annoying but they're eight years old 12 girl please (laughs) learn some manners (laughs) So Malta has stopped and is looking at these flame jewels as Kefria kind of turns around, sees her daughter stopping and and kind of warns her in their voice like, Malta, come on, let's go. And it's too late. It's too late. Yeah. Good evening. It was a husky woman's voice that came from within the shadowed depths of the hood. And now Malta could see that the hood was veiled with a curtain of lace as well. What could be so hideous as to need hiding even in darkness? The flame jewels she wore were scarlet weighing down the edges of her veil. She was dimly aware of hurried footsteps behind her, the soft sursurs, sursurus, sursurus. I never know how to pronounce that word. You? No. No? Okay. I don't even know what the word means, if I'm being honest. (laughs) A whispering or rustling sound. Uh, But the soft sound of fabric. She was startled when her mother spoke right at her elbow. Good evening. I am Kefria of the Vestrit Trader family. Janie of the Rainwilds Cooperus gives you greeting, the hooded woman replied. May I present my daughter, Malta Haven of the Vestrit family? You may indeed. The woman's voice was a cultured purr. Malta belatedly remembered how to bow. The woman chuckled approvingly. When she spoke, it was to Malta's mother. I do not believe I have seen her at a gathering before. 
Has she just entered society? In truth, this is her first gathering. She has not been presented yet. Her grandmother and I believe she must learn the duties and responsibilities of a traitor woman before she is presented as one. In contrast to Janie, her mother's voice was courteous and hasty, as if correcting a wrong impression. Ah, that does sound like Veronica Vestrit, and I do approve of such philosophy. I fear it is becoming rarer in Bingtown these days. Her tone smooth and rich as cream now. And of course, Malta then is fixated on not those conversations or the tones of voices or what must, must be the undertones of that conversation, but instead says, your flame jewels are beautiful. Are they very expensive? Even as she said it, she heard how childish she, she sounded. I want to talk about that a little bit. Obviously, Janie Cooperus is like, okay, this is a young woman. She's dressed as a traitor. She came up to me and we're talking as adults is she presented to her mother? Like, is she an actual woman? Is this someone that could enter society and be married and produce children for the Rainwild traders? Because that is, as we've discussed before, pretty much their source of value. And what they value the highest is fertility. Because the Rainwilds are very harsh on women and childbirth and children in general. Right. And, and Kefria is courteous and hasty in correcting a wrong impression in Malta's view of like, nope, nope, nope. She's just learning how to do it. She's not presented yet. She's getting there, but we're taken through all the duties and we don't know how long that'll be. So it's going to be a while. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. It's very. Because <sighs> Malta doesn't know that that's what Kefria and Ronica are trying to prevent her from becoming is just a wife of the Rainwild traders. Right. I, this again is something that they should have already brought up to her that once you're a woman, that means that you can be taken as payment for the debt that our family is in. Ronica, they should Ronica have brought that her. up a little bit too. Like yes. maybe we should tell her. Right. And they should have so that in this situation, she would know why it'd be dangerous yeah. that a Rainwild woman is asking if she's presented because even though this isn't the family that they owe their debt to, they're still, I'm sure it's pretty normal for people to talk in the rain wilds and to say, hey, if they default on their loan, I'll pay the loan. Give me the child. Like, I'm sure that's a regular thing that happens. I'm sure it's not just for the family that you're indebted to. It's everybody. And that's fresh meat, like fresh for meat, lack of so a better gross. word. Like, <laughs> ugh. That's so that's such a gross way to say it, but yeah, I guess so. Like there's new there's somebody new and a new chance for the people of the Rainwild. Family, yeah. Yeah. And as we see later, I mean the Cooper's family is definitely not the one that you want to entice the interest of because they straight up buy the whole debt off yep. from the Festrus of the remaining ship. Like the whole thing. Not even just a few payments. The, the Vestrits are debt free when Malta gets promised to rain. Yeah. So like these are the the like Jeff Bezos of the yeah. <laughs> of the Straight society. They like are. they're just like, oh, Rain has a crush on someone and he's 21, so it's like really old to be married and he's never had a crush before. All right, we'll spend this person's whole debt. <laughs> we'll we'll get them out of student loan debt of like four hundred thousand dollars because this person went to be a doctor, and we'll buy that whole debt off as long as you like date my son. <laughs> and not just your debt, but your whole family's debt. Yeah, exactly. Of, like what? <laughs> so obviously Malta doesn't understand any of this, 
and to prove that she is not an adult, focuses more on the pretty jewels instead of the niceties of a conversation that you have as an adult. As an adult, you just you don't just go, wow, I love the jewels. How much were they? Like in the middle of a like, hi, how are you? How's it going? Like, you don't just. How expensive is your jewelry? Yeah. That's how you do conversations. That's not how children do conversations, you would think. But apparently Malta has no manners. She realizes it as she says it. But at least Janie Cooper seems like a decent person. Doesn't take offense to it. Yeah. Shrewd businesswoman. She's a trader as well. Like we know all traders love her deals and everything like that later. But. She doesn't take offense socially to any of this. And we get a little bit of knowledge about the flame jewels saying the scarlets are the most common and the easiest to awaken, but I still love them best. Red is such a rich color. The green and blues are rarer far and much harder to stir. And so, of course, they are the ones we charge most dearly for. The flame jewels are the exclusive province of the cupris, of course. And her mother replies, of course. And basically saying, oh, I fear we're going to miss stuff. Like, let's hurry in. And Janie's like, oh, no, they're going to wait for me because I'm the one who called this meeting. <laughs> yeah. So, like, <laughs> again, like, not somebody you want to be messing around with. But Malta does not understand the gravity. There is yeah. no, like, not once does that light bulb click on. No. It might as well be burnt out. Like, And then, <laughs> and then she gets angry at her mother later because they're walking away and Kefra's gripping her arm and saying, oh, Malta, she sighed in rebuke and then firmly escorts her in. And then Ronica's waiting inside and being like, what is happening? Turning wide eyes from Malta and her mother and waits for them to be out of uh, earshot, the Cooper's family to be out of earshot. And Kefria says, Janie Cooper, or, uh, she presented herself to Janie. And her grandmother's like, oh, Malta. And Malta's like, oh, they're just using my name as a club to bash me over the head with. I did nothing wrong. And then <laughs> like, she says the most childish excuse as to why they shouldn't be mad at her. <laughs> I just wanted to see your flame jewels, she tried to explain. But as usual, neither of them was listening to her. Girl, why do you think that oh, matters? So, like, so frustrating. In what world does that make it okay, all of the social faux pas you just did? Like... Uh. <laughs> oh, okay. We're as as I was about to complain as well. Uh, I want to rain it back in a little bit. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're doing it back in. Yes, rain it back in. We're trying to uh, avoid whining this. about her behavior a lot. It's very okay. hard. I wanted to try to avoid it at least. I knew it was going to happen a little bit. <laughs> a little. I think that's all we've done. Yes. So she. Yes, she is. Very childlike in her way of approaching the situation, even though she is adamantly saying, like, I I have a woman's body, like my father said. I am a woman now, and I am an adult, and I can do all these parties because that's what being a woman is, right? Right, Malta? You can just get to party. So we see here in the tones, and as readers, yes, we have a lot more context because of Kefria and Ronica's points of view and their conversations with each other, and the whole knowledge of the Festru and Vestrit deal that they've made, and how presenting yourself to somebody is a very big deal. Malta doesn't have maybe all of that, or maybe she was told that and doesn't think it's an important detail to know or doesn't care about because it won't happen to her. Right. But we see as readers the dangers in this. 
with Kefria being like, maybe, maybe we don't have the insights to Bingtown social, you know, the, their society and what happens in certain situations, but her talking to the matriarch of another family and Kefria saying she presented herself to her. Like there's, there's depth and meaning to that phrase right? that the readers can pick up on and be like, Oh no, that sounds bad. And Malta's just like, I just wanted to see her jewels. So, (laughs) uh, it's frustrating, but we see how deep Malta's naivety goes in certain situations like this, or how deep her willful ignorance of these situations goes. Right. It's something uncomfortable. And so she doesn't want to think about it. And so she won't, and she's not going to try to understand it so that she can figure out a new way to overcome this thing that she doesn't like. She's just not going to think of it and it isn't going to apply to her. And I think that's, what's so dangerous about this. And what I think is ultimately her Achilles heel is that Malta is really intelligent and she is really resourceful. She has all of the traits that would make a good trader. Like truly, I, if we take away the fact that she's so selfish, I think she is really smart. I think the problem is that she has been raised to not care about anybody but herself. Right. And therefore, when she sees something she doesn't like, her whole life she just has to go crying to her dad and he just makes it go away. And so she doesn't she doesn't have the ability to say, "Hey, I don't like the way this is. I'm going to find a way to change it." She just thinks, "I'm going to tell my dad and he's going to change it." And that's so frustrating because like clearly if they told her the rules and she had a willingness to hear it and learn, I'm, she could be somebody who changes the way things are done in society. Like the way she wants to live is not just to be married off like a cow. She wants to travel the world and try out different boyfriends and that's cool, but she's not learning the why people do it in the first place to be able to make that change. She just assumes she gets her own rules. And that's just something that people do because they want to, not because they have to because of society. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably the nicest thing I'll say about Malta. (laughs) (laughs) So, so she enters the concourse and she sees that the food is kind of picked over. People are finding their seats and like, oh, I'm right. We're late. Great. And asks to go sit by Delotrell. And Ronica says Delotrell is not here. Her parents had the good sense to leave her at home, which is where I wish you were also. I didn't ask to come, Malta replied, even as her mother said, mother, in rebuke. Which, Ronica be ha, have like some familial sense right there i understand this is for malta's own good to be angry at her for like trying to present herself to a powerful rainwell family which they're trying to prevent in the first place but like <laughs> maybe don't say that to the 12 year old like yeah we're all thinking it <laughs> like, yeah. you don't need to say it like first says of all, the but- unspoken part out loud like malta i wish you weren't here either <laughs> Okay, grandma, like... Yeah. Please. It's like, Ronica, you're the adult in this situation. You don't get to act like the 12-year-old. Like, come uh, on. Like, It is funny. I kind of, is, like, cheer her on because I want to say the same thing, but also yeah, not and, a good thing to say. And obviously, like, 
Ronica's very stressed out. There is a lot of things going on and Malta is just at every chance making it worse. So I get it. But also, oh, Ronica, just just being a little, a little bit of an adult in this situation, please. <laughs> Which her daughter has to remind her to do. Right. So Malta is looking around. They're sitting by Devad Restart, which Malta, of course, comments on. But she's looking around. She finally finds Sir Wintrell. And there were empty seats behind the trails. So she's sure that her mother sat them here on purpose, away from the trails. And her grandmother says, sit still, pay attention. And Malta goes on this whole long thing of like, this is so boring. There's somebody up there saying a prayer to Sa. And it would be maybe interesting if that person's nephew were doing it instead or his son or whatever, doing it instead. But it's just all talking about how, you know, if all the young men were doing it, it might be a little bit more interesting. But this is so boring and blah, 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 blah. There's an invocation to saw. There's a speech by another traitor. I don't need to do anything. Oh, I found a flaw in the weave of my my gown. Oh, well. It's just so, like, distracted and moving from one topic to another, trying to avoid anything that's going on, which is very true to, like, a child's point of view, I think. It is very, very on par to ignore your surroundings when you're told to sit still and pay attention. You're just trying to be quiet. Right. right. This is big church vibes. Yes, yeah, it is. Like kid in church that doesn't want to be there. Like, oh, I'll just scratch the pew a little bit or like <laughs> look at wood grain or count, count the how tiles. Many, like fans are <laughs> lighting things are in the sky. <laughs> See know? who would die if one of the lighting fixtures crashes on crashes yeah. right now. Like <laughs> just stupid stuff like that. It's so it's so funny to read because if you're actually reading it, it's very frustrating. Right. But, Big picture. It's very funny to to look at. It's very realistic of 12-year-olds being told to sit in in a stuffy adult conversation. (laughs) But finally, Janie Cooperis steps forward and Malta picks up a little bit and perks up and starts to pay attention slightly. Right. I do want to, before we get into that, point out, you mentioned that she found a mistake in the weave in her dress around the knee. But what you didn't mention is that she then tries to point it out to her mother and get her mother's <laughs> attention. And her mother shushes her and tells her to pay attention. And looks annoyed. How well, dare she? She's just trying to point out something that's wrong with her dress while she should be paying attention to a speech. Why would she not pay attention? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, oh. I just don't. Girl, of course, they're not paying attention to you. Oh, sorry. I keep doing the girl thing. It's just, oh, it's my new, th- it's my new speech pattern. <laughs> so, oh. so Janie Cooper steps forward. Malta sat, sits up and leans forward a little bit. And she can see that the Rainwell trader had taken off her heavy outer cloak and hood, but her features were still obscured. She wore a lighter mantle of ivory, also hooded, and the lace veil that covered her face was actually a part of that garment. The flame jewels still shone as bright, brilliantly as and had lost none of their effect in the dimly lit room. As she spoke, her veiled face often turned to different corners of the room. Whenever she turned her head, the veil moved, and the flame gels, gems flared up more brightly. There were fifteen of them, all as glistening red as pomegranate kernels, but about the size of shelled almonds. She couldn't wait to tell Dallo that she had seen them up close and even spoken to Janie Cupris about them. The matriarchal woman suddenly lifted both hands and voice and multifocused on what she was saying. So before I get into that, 
she sits up and pays attention because she gets to see the flame jewels again. Right. She's not paying attention to the words. She's again, not paying attention to the speech. Just a little blackbird. Ooh, shiny. Let's look at the <laughs> Right. There's no... There's no like, oh, here's the part where we're here. Like you would think at the very least she'd be interested to know why the meeting was called. But There's no. just no natural curiosity about anything other than looking nice. Yeah. Which to me is one, extremely frustrating, but two, maybe a disservice to who she becomes later. There's no... There, there's nothing in there except for a vain, vapid, self-absorbed girl. And I don't, at this point in my reread, looking closely at this, I don't see the end point at all. I don't see that transformation coming at all. Like right. it's, there, there's nothing there to build off of besides maybe the one comment of, you know, stick to your morals and stand up loudly for what you believe in. But that was thinly veiled <laughs> yeah i think this chapter is just much less of a character for malta if that makes sense like there's just less there at least in the last one there was stuff going on there was like plots and plans and she's thinking but i guess ultimately that was all vain that was yeah. all beauty it's and trying to get her own way looks. yeah it wasn't necessarily about "Quote unquote important things." I mean, it's important I mean, it, to her. Yeah, it's but, it's important to her, so that is important. But it's just, I don't know. I always was of the opinion that Malta did have a great character arc, but from our starting point here, I'm just waiting to see where it goes and if it naturally goes there or if like the dragon influences things. I feel like I'm recalling something of like, she actually does start to fall in love with rain and maybe there are other things in life besides how you look. Like no. I, I, I don't remember a lot <laughs> she, of that stuff. As, as much as I remember, she starts pitting Serwin against rain Yeah, she and does. she likes all of the expensive things Rain sends her, but she doesn't like that he's ugly in real life. He doesn't look like the dream version of him. And so um, she's using Serwin, who is hot, to save her and rescue her from the ugly monster, but still playing both sides because she still wants all the gifts. Yeah, I, so I meant like when she actually starts changing. I don't know if there is any galvanization besides like magic. Or, like, being bonded to Tintaglia. Right. I don't know. I Like, all I remember is, of the courting at least, is that she never, like, likes Rain. She just right. likes what he's giving her. And he does, she doesn't want to marry somebody that's ugly, and she doesn't want to get married so soon. We'll have to, yeah, I'll have to pay attention to that relationship and how that goes and just see if there is an actual change in her or if it's... I. In my head, I'm fearing that it's just magic related of how she eventually changes. And it's not an actual character development. It's kind of forced. Yeah. Which would make me dislike Malta even more. Yeah, well, we'll I, find out. I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong and there could be a change of heart. But that's my fear right now. <laughs> so. Yeah. I don't, I don't think she dislikes Rain for the most part. I mean, she hates that he's ugly. Right, yeah. But, but like <laughs> But he says the right things and is and giving gives her, her gifts. Yeah, and, and is rich. So like, so I guess win-win. It is really frustrating to read. I think you're right. The like lack of curiosity to the world around her is really frustrating. And I, I hate 
like it's such an opposite of what Fitz folks focuses on. Like we're getting the vibe. Like we at least we can have like a full picture of kind of what the room looks like and who's there and what they look like and what they're all wearing. But we have no idea the substance of anything that's going on, which kind of makes me sad that this chapter is in Malta's point of view, because it would be nice to get more information through Ronica or even Kefria. But instead we have to get Malta who could care less about (laughs) anything happening right now. (laughs) So we get snatches finally of what's happening in this meeting. Janie is uh, saying... Had not the river protected us, eating their ships to splinters as they fled, we would have been forced to kill them all ourselves. Bingtown traders, how could this have happened to us? What has become of your vows? And basically, the undercurrents of this is that the new traders are trying to go up the Rainwild River. Right. And They're trying to discover things that the Bingtown traders said that they would protect, and the their boats are getting eaten through, but then we know... That Mingsley's trying to sell off Paragon. Right. I think this is more because the Rainwild traders have heard that potentially a family would like is thinking about selling to the new people. Yeah, that's, uh, that a might wizard be, would bo- might be what galvanized them. But she says in here that you know we would have had to kill them if the river hadn't eaten up their ships, basically. Right. <laughs> so there's people that are actively trying as well. True. Yeah, and so there's that interesting aspect of, like, this something is terribly wrong. And clearly the greed knows no bounds from these newcomers. Right. They want in on the special trade. Basically, we need to do something. We need to band together. You guys need to keep your promises, is what she's saying. And traders are shouting out, like, what do you expect us to do? Well, and throughout this whole conversation, Malta's like, oh, I need to get a drink. I need to leave. This is boring. I should say there is a pause first. There's long pause. And Malta assumes, okay, conversation over. We're done. And then asks to get a drink. And then people start talking. And then she still is like, okay, but can I get a drink? And her mom is like, pay attention. And her grandma says, Malta, shut up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so then she's like, okay, here's something I can't refuse. I have to go to the bathroom. And they're very disappointed because clearly they know she doesn't have to go to the bathroom. She's like, ha ha, I'm so smart. I've outsmarted them. But like, they know what she's doing. They're just tired of it. Yeah. If I was her mom, I would be like, too bad. Pee yourself then. Like. <laughs> and throughout that whole thing, the important part of this conversation is just getting thrown to us in snippets between Malta's thoughts of how she needs to get away from this conversation. And it's basically the traders like, what do you want us to do? And Janie says, we must demand the satrap, honor our original covenant. We must demand he call back these so-called new traders and cede back to us any lands he has deeded them. And if he refuses, she shifts uneasily. Let us first ask him to honor word of his forebears. We have never even asked him. We have complained and grumbled amongst ourselves. We have disputed individual claims. But not once have we stood up as a people and said, honor your word as if you expect us to honor ours. And if he refuses, the woman repeated steadily, then he is without honor, she said in a quiet voice. What have the traitors to do with those who are without honor? If he fails in his word, then we should withdraw ours. Stop sending him tribute. Market our goods wherever we please, rather than funneling the best of them through Jamalia. In an even quieter voice, she said, Drive out the new traders. 
rule ourselves. So that breaks out a huge thing. Like people are yelling back and forth about differing opinions. And eventually Devad just stands up on a chair and yells, hear me, to create some calm. And he starts saying, like, this is madness. You know, he's not just going to let Bingtown go that easily. Thinks what, think what will happen next. The satrap's going to send shiploads of soldiers. He'll confiscate our holdings. He'll deed them over to the new traders and make slaves of our families. No, we must accept the new traders, like his whole, his whole deal. Like, learn to live with them. Give them right. enough so they're content, but we can continue on our way in whatever way that is. And people are conver- like conversing back and forth and shouting back and forth saying, you know, what are you saying? As long as you're speaking for your new trader friends, just how much do they want of us? And there's this whole conversation going on while Malta is like, all right, I have to go to the bathroom. Now they can't refuse me. I'm leaving. This is boring talk. Like, what? Boring? This is so interesting. Maybe that makes me, like, kind of old. But I'm so intrigued to know. And maybe it's because this is not my life. This is not real politics. But, like, the politics of this are insane. I want to know more. I want to know why these people think this way and, like, what's going to push them to the edge. Mm -hmm. Does this mean civil war? And instead, Malta's like, who cares? (laughs) This is boring. So there's a lot of thoughts on either side of this conversation. One is what Devad is saying, that... Jamalia can forcibly stop us. They have the means of doing so. How could we separate from Jamalia? It's the the motherland. It's where all of our culture and arts come from. It's everything that we've done. It's tradition. You know, that's everything. What about the pirates? They keep us safe from those. And the other side is, well, they don't do anything about the pirates. The slavers bring serpents. All of those create dangers for us. And then everyone's like, well, where would we trade our goods? Like, we could go anywhere else. Everywhere else would pay really well for these goods. So there's huge different sides. Like, yeah, the satrap is no concern of us. He's not dangerous. Like, he spends all of his money on, you know, pleasures for himself. We He doesn't care about us. So this is truly a room divided. Right. They also point out that he's not even patrolling the inside passages to keep pirates away. So there's no way he has the ability to send his militia, water militia, to them to fight. There is no ships for him to send. If there were, he would have been taking care of the pirates. Yeah. And so some of the traders are shouting out like, yeah, we should have our own patrol boats. And then we can keep the new traders and Jamalia and Chelsea out. And everyone's like, what, you want two wars <laughs> at right. once? Like, <laughs> And then this is one oh. of the more stronger standpoints of why they should stay with Jamalia, because it's pointed out that the only reason that Chalced has not invaded and hasn't started war with them is because they are connected with Jamalia and Jamalia is keeping them safe from Chalced. And they can't really, at this moment in time, afford to fight them both. Yeah. It's a little bit much. And in between all this, as Malta is walking away, the last thing we hear is Janie saying, this is what will be the death of us. Arguing amongst ourselves, we must stay united. One strong voice he must heed, but as long as we tear at one another, like dot, 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 and she walks away. So we have Malta leaving this this interesting conversation about the politics. <laughs> right. And we have uh, Malta going up to the refreshment table, grabbing a glass of wine. And she notices that she's not the only one who left her seat in different parts of the hall. Knots of folk were forming and talking, all but ignoring the rainwild trader. 
Some folk were arguing amongst themselves, others nodding in mutual agreement with her words. Almost everyone there was substantially older than she was. She looked for Sir Wintwell, but he was still seated with his family and appeared to be avidly interested in what was going on. Politics. Privately, Malta believed that if everyone just ignored them, life would go on as it always had. The arguments would probably last the evening and spoil the party. She sighed and took her wine with her as she stepped outside into the crisp winter night. So she's bored. It's adult talk. Even Serwin is involved in this conversation. Jeez, politics. Just ignore it. It'll be fine. Right. Let's just talk and drink and party. This is, yeah. Again, another example of her childishness. She thinks this is supposed to be a party, so why can't we just enjoy being outside and around each other. None of this will affect her in the future. No. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) Also, the fact that she's like, ugh, everybody here is way older than me. It's like, yeah, because they're all adults. (laughs) This is what you want. This is what you want to be joined with. You want to become an adult. This is what being an adult means. And then immediately thinks about how she would tell Dalotrell a what she knows and what everyone knows about flame jewels, how the blues and greens are rarest. And she knows just how she'll say it. Mm-hmm. That's what her, her mind goes to immediately. It's not, these are interesting things. They're talking about wars. They're talking about stopping trade with Jamalia. They're talking about war with Chelsea, who is her father's family. Right. None of that is interesting to her. All of it's like, well, I know how I'll brag to Dello about everyone knows about flame jewels and how I personally spoke to Janie Cooperus about them. And, right. And how I'm not uh, going to mention that I was bored. But I'm going to brag about how I was here and make it seem like it was so cool. You literally tried to make up excuses to leave the second that the interesting part started happening. I don't know. Uh, and the idea that like politics are fine, just ignore them and then life will continue to go on. That's not how it works. Ignoring (laughs) things doesn't mean that you can just continue on. It's such a childlike way to look at the world. Like if I gave you a hundred dollars and you spend $10 a day and then you never look at your bank account. So you don't know you're overdrafting. It's fine. That's somebody else's problem. No, it's your problem if you're overdrafting. So like that idea that like, sure, this affects me and my family and the livelihood of everybody and whether or not we'll continue to be the privileged part of the privileged people in town. Well, it doesn't personally affect me in this moment, so I don't really care. (laughs) What? But I guess, I mean, to be fair, politics is like a tough topic anyway, and I feel like that's like it takes a while for people to get into it. 12 is not the age when you are intrigued by politics. That's fair. (laughs) But it is very naive to think well if you just ignore it everything will be fine as a child so malta is thinking about these flame jewels doesn't want to bring her ratty old cloak with her outside and is feeling the chill of the air in the winter night but is still intrigued by those flame jewels and goes to that carriage the cooper's carriage she touches the crest it's a rooster and it lights up and we get a little little lore dump about Jidzin, which is a metal that glows when it is touched, basically. Uh, she says that it's kind of fallen out of favor, but it was popular with street musicians for a while. It would make, you know, for finger, finger symbols and other symbols and things like that. It would make them glow when they hit, hit each other. But brass sounds better, so eventually people went back to that. 
And she says out loud, Odd to think how a human touch sets off both Jidzen and flame jewels, she ventured aloud. No, that wasn't quite it. She needed a more dramatic statement than that. Because she's trying to think of how she's going to talk to Dello still about all these different things of how much she knows about things. Right. And somebody is there that she didn't realize. A blue eye winked into existence. She stepped back hastily, then peered again. Someone was standing there, leaning against the Cooper's coach. The blue glow was a jewel fastened at his throat. There was, he was a slight figure, heavily cloaked in the Rainwild style. His neck was swathed in a scarf, his face veiled like a woman's. He was probably their coachman. So stupid, Malta. You just got told that the blues are the rarest and most expensive, and he has a blue one at his throat. Like, Anyways, I'll keep going on. Like, yep. It's not the coachman. <laughs> she says good evening to cover her surprise and then starts to walk by. But he engages in conversation, saying it's not a human touch. (laughs) Actually? Saying it's not a human touch. It's any motion can set them flaring once they've been awakened. And he gives his wrist a shake. Two small blue gems popped into existence on his cuff. Malta had to stop and stare. It was not pale blue, but a deep sapphire blue that danced alone in the darkness. I thought the blues and greens were the rarest and most valuable, she observed. She took a sip of the wine. That seemed more polite than asking how a coachman came to have such things. As though that's not what you already just implied. Like, how could you even afford that? That's the most expensive one. Again, why are you talking about the price of a thing when somebody shows you their jewelry? How about that economy, huh? I'm an adult. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't like in what world. I guess, I guess if I'm going to think about real life, sometimes when people compliment me on something that I'm wearing... I will offer up, oh, I got it secondhand, so it's super cheap. Or like, I got it on sales, only whatever amount of dollars. So I guess in life, we do talk about pricing, but you never go, interesting, that looks really expensive. Or like, what (laughs) I feel like to strangers, maybe to your friend, to your friend, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I love your new jewelry. How much did it cost? Not to some random stranger who you believe is a coach, man. Like, (laughs) ah, (laughs) And Rain, as we find out later, uh, says, yeah, they are rare, but these ones are flawed. Uh, they were chipped in the recovery process. They probably won't burn long, no more than a year or two, but I couldn't bear to see them thrown away. Malta is scandalized, saying, of course you can't throw them away. And also, do they burn? Like, do, Are they hot to the touch? So they have a little conversation about flame jewels, and he extends... The bracelet, and she unwraps her arms from around herself to extend the timid finger, touches it, saying, oh, it doesn't burn. But they're beautiful, she said, and shivered. It's freezing out here. I'd better go back inside. No, don't. I mean, are you cold? A little. I left my cloak inside. She turned to go. Here, take mine. He had stood up straight and was unfastening his cloak. Oh, thank you, but I'm fine. I couldn't take your cloak from you. I just need to get back inside. The very thought of his cloak from his warty back touching her flesh made her chill deepen. She hurried away, but he followed her. Here, just try my scarf then. It doesn't look like much, but it's amazingly warm. Here, do try it. He had it off, flame gem and all, and when she turned, he draped it over her arm. It was amazingly warm, but what stopped her from flinging it back at him was the flame jewel winking up at her. Alta, stop being so scared and hateful 
of people that are different, but not even that. Like, she should be scared. She's alone with a grown man. Like, she should not be here. She should have left it at good evening. This should not have been a conversation. She should have realized as soon as she saw an adult man alone out here with her, oh, time for me to go back inside because I shouldn't be alone with a man. It takes her another full page to realize that maybe this is inappropriate. She was just going back in because she was cold and he was warty. (laughs) And gross. Yeah, like... But also I do want to, I do want to pause for a minute because we kind of like skipped over my comment, but Rain does whenever he speaks out of the darkness and she's like, I can't believe it takes human touch. He does start the the sentence with actually, you don't need human touch, which we know that he has like a covering over his head with a veil. And so now I feel like that covering is actually a fedora that he is covering his face with the shadow of. And he holds on to it and says, actually, actually, my lady. He's He's, the quiet, never had a girlfriend before kind. uh, (laughs) Very knowledgeable about the Actually, um, (laughs) flame jewels don't burn, literally. (laughs) You would know if you've touched them. Here, try some. (laughs) Let me educate you, young lady. (laughs) But yeah, so. She takes his scarf. The elderling fabric. Scarf. Yes. Yeah. Which it is extremely light, extremely thin and soft. And it expands to the size of a shawl, even though before it was like a scarf. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very warm. It has a flame jewel on it. And she, she makes, takes it because it has that flame jewel. Right. And she makes sure to arrange the flame jewel right in between her boobs. Like any normal woman would. <laughs> Girl, what? Like, again, what? What is this? And here we have uh, the quiet poet in cell rain saying, you know, after she says, it's so beautiful. It's like, I don't know what it's like. Some things are only like themselves. Some beauty is incomparable. He said quietly. (laughs) Obviously, he's complimenting her as well. Yeah. And she's just like, yeah, the flame jewel is super pretty. Yeah. Oh. So he has Malta's wine glass from sh- from putting on the shawl. Yeah, she, she handed, handed it, it to him, him, saying, "He's trying to hand it back, saying your wine." It's like, oh, I don't want it anymore. You may have it if you wish, because he touched it. Oh, um, it's I. Oh, I hate her. But for this. also the dismissal of like she handed it to him to hold because she thinks he's a servant and she views him as less than her. And so of course he's going to hold her drink while she puts this on. And now that he's been touching it, well, I don't want it anymore. I guess you can have it as though she's being a, a, like a benevolent overlord of like, I'll let you have my leftovers pleb, which oh they deserve each other. But the, (laughs) the, the callous attitude of just, Oh, my half drink wine. Yeah, you can have the dredges of that. But she doesn't understand. And and Rain does because he makes uh, a comment here says, I may. There was a tone of both amusement and surprise in his voice, as if some delicate balance between them had just shifted in his favor. Because she gave him a personal gift back. And that means something in Bingtown and Rainwild societies. Right. We learn in two chapters that the dream box that they send yeah needs something but that's not the important part we learn in two chapters that a woman giving something to a man that he can construe as a gift 
is the opening of the door to welcome courting. That is how their society works. It's unclear if this is just how the Rainwild traders view it or if this is the old traders custom Probably as well. both, I would guess, because they're the same people. But the idea is if you give someone something, then that is a gift saying, I would like to court you. So in that way, we can see Rain giving him, uh, giving Malta this shawl as his opening of the courting and her returning that by saying, please keep my wine in his eyes as someone he's seeing dressed as a woman is saying, I'd like to extend a gift to you as well. And she says it so like haughtily and like, oh, you may keep it. And then when he's amused by saying I may, she get, becomes flustered like, oh, I mean, I mean, if you want it. So it seems like even more so, even more so from just- his point of view, <laughs> this woman who is in adult clothing, who is at an adult event, who must know the customs of courting and what things mean. She got all flustered when I clarified. Clearly, that's how a girl would react if she was interested in you and wanting you to accept her courtship. And he assures her, oh, I do want it. And deftly drains off the wine and holds up the emptied glass up to the starlight and gazed at it for a moment. And she felt that he glanced at her before he slipped the glass up his sleeve. A keepsake, he suggested. For the first time, Malta realized that he was older than she, and perhaps their conversation was not quite proper, that all of these casual exchanges might be taken to mean something deeper. Nice girls did not stand about in the dark chatting with strange coachmen. I had best go inside. My mother will be wondering where I am. No doubt, he murmured his assent, and again that amusement was there. She began to feel just a tiny bit afraid of him. No, not afraid. Wary. He seemed to sense it, for when she tried to walk away, he followed her. He actually walked beside her as if he were escorting her. She was halfway afraid he would follow her right into the concourse, but he stopped the door. I need something from you before you go, he suddenly requested. Of course, she lifted her hands to the scarf. Your name. She stood very still. Had he forgotten she was wearing his scarf with the flame jewel on it? If he had, she wasn't going to remind him. Oh, she wouldn't keep it. Not forever. Just long enough to show Dello. Malta, she told him. Enough of a name that he could find out who had his scarf when he recalled it. Not so much that he would recover it too quickly. Malta, he let it hang, prompting her. She pretended not to understand. I see, he said after a moment. Malta. Good evening, then, Malta. Good evening. She turns and hurries away. And we know that he easily finds her later because she was literally introduced to his mother earlier in the evening, maybe right. like an hour beforehand. Well, even if she hadn't said her last name, she's wearing a robe that's magenta. Right. So she's a vestrit. The idea, the, the like, again, the childish idea of, oh, it'll take him a while to figure it out. Probably not. He just has to know the robe color. And if he didn't know which robe color your family had, his mother, who is older, probably would. Although, again, she thinks he's a coachman, so who cares? But still, even if he was a coachman, he could ask his employer, hey, a woman named Malta in a red cloak took one of my things. Could you get it back for me? Right. It's not that hard to figure out who she is. It's... Oof. And uh, I also hate that she doesn't even ask him his name. Yeah. At no point is she like, oh, by the way, what's your name to be polite? Because she doesn't care about him. He's a coachman. And so she goes inside, takes off the scarf because she doesn't want her mother or grandmother to confiscate it. And it does shrink enough so and wad up enough to put it in her pocket. Right. We also should point out that her immediate reaction to him saying, I need something from you. 
and then figuring out that it's just he just wants her name, not the scarf back. Yeah, she's grossly like, greedy and saying, "Oh, I'm not gonna keep it, not forever, just enough to show it off to Dello, just, just long enough until he comes asking for it. I'm just not gonna offer it up." Right, and like, ah, oh, that's a gross way to behave. If somebody lends you something, your your internal thought shouldn't be, "I'm not returning this until they ask." If literally, she- literally, her greed makes it so the courtship is real in Rain's eyes. Yep. Because if she gave it back, then it would be like, okay, so it was just kind of a mistake or something. Misunderstanding. Yeah, misunderstanding. Don't need to pursue this. But her keeping it and her offering the wine glass because she thinks, because of her like superiority and thinking that she's he's a coachman and wanting the flame jewel just makes this courtship move forward. Oh, it's and like at every step of the way, the whole their whole courtship, it's just her grabbing more and more things being like, oh, I hate him, but at least I'm getting expensive things. I'm not returning these. These are mine. Ah. And now she just wants to go home and admire the flame jewel in the privacy of her own room. And, and that's the, where we end with Malta. Yeah. And the people are still talking, we should yes. say. As she comes in, that's she's pretty annoyed that the conversation hasn't ended yet. Yeah. Oh, well, we have one last section of this chapter. It moves on to the serpent's point of view, and we get little a little bit more of Shriver, Caesarea, and uh, Malkin. So this is actually my favorite serpent section before we get into it i just wanted to make that comment because i think this section answers a lot of questions about what makes the serpents start following the trail and also um tells us a little bit more about the old the last trilogy which i like (laughs) and it says where they came from as well right so we have them Shedding skin often growing because the feeding is really good. They are in a warm plenty, a warm ocean or sea right now. And uh, she knows, Shriver knows that Malkin wants more of a rebirth, of a change than just them growing and shedding skin and, and feeding well. The rest of the tangle was short-sighted not to perceive Malkin's anxiety and distress. North, he had led them, following the shadow of the provider. Several times he had halted at warm flows of unbriny water, tasting and tasting yet again the strange atmospheres. The others had always wanted to hasten after the provider. When Caesarea had shocked them by extending his rough and challenging their passage to halt them in their foolish following. But moments later, Malkin had closed his jaws in bafflement and left the warm flow to once more take his place in the provider's shadow. So they're following slave ships. They're heading north. You don't think the provider is a slave ship? No. No. Interesting. I think it's a, it's a slave ship. Okay, but anyway, continue. Anyways, they're following a provider. Uh, they're heading north, and Malkin is tasting at these freshwater tributaries and rivers to see if this is the one to go up, if this is the place where we need to go to the beach. He's not finding anything. He's not sensing anything from his memories, so he's just following this provider. And... Shriver had not been overly distressed when the provider had halted and Malkin had been content to stay with it. But she's got getting a little worried when it turned back south and they're following it back south. And now she's worried, like, are we lost? What's happening? Okay, actually, as you were talking, I was thinking about it. And maybe you're right. Maybe this is slave ships. Um, what do you think it was? 
I was thinking that maybe this was the stone dragons and she's talking oh. about the trip in general. This isn't like current. This is how they got to where they are. Oh. And so I was thinking if it's stone dragons, it would make sense why they're flying back and forth because there's a war going on. But also the fact that sometimes whenever he's in the shadow, he forgets to say that this is the wrong way and just follows like mm. being under a, the stone dragons makes humans forget. I assume it has because it like steals things from them. I assume oh, okay. the shadow of them, even underwater would take that from Malkin as well. Interesting. And so I was wondering if maybe this was just them following the dragons as the stone dragons and forgetting that this isn't the right way because they're under the shadow of the stone dragon. That is a very interesting explanation. I, I personally think there are a couple things in the text that point out that it's probably not the stone dragons. One is the word provider, meaning that they're getting food from this thing. Fair. And I guess that could be stone dragons picking up and dropping soldiers or something, but I'm pretty sure they just forge people and last their breath and they disintegrate. Right. But it could be that. But also... Uh, the the warm water, and we know that the six duchies and the out islands aren't. It's not necessarily warm water, especially right now when it is winter. Right. We know it is. It is winter in Bingtown, so further north, it's going to be even more frigid. So I I personally think that these are slave ships, and I I think I did on my first few rereads through and I always assumed that they were slave ships but that is a very interesting theory and I do like the memory thing too yeah. that goes along with it. I definitely could be wrong I definitely the more I think about it it makes sense that it would be a ship especially because it's going back and forth. I was thinking more like after the war the Six Duchy War how maybe some of the older of the Stone Dragons are going to the old places that they knew from their memory and those places don't exist anymore and so it'd be one of those things where like they're flying in places that the other dragons wouldn't before mm. they go back to the resting place. Although I don't know because they were that, kind of led by Verity as dragon that, but also the, the garden that they were in clearly is near the place where they made the stone dragons, which means that they probably, even the oldest ones are from that area. Yeah. So they probably wouldn't need to go to a different area that wouldn't be there anymore. So I guess maybe that doesn't make sense anymore. I was just thinking, especially because he like changes his mind and follows them anyway. But the way they call it a provider makes me think that there's something in the tradition of it, that the providers lead them to the right places. And so then that makes me wonder if it is slave ships, does that mean there have always been slave ships? Like even in the olden times, there were slave ships throwing people off or maybe it, it, they weren't slaves. Maybe they were just criminals that got thrown off to lead the way to the to the nesting place. It could be historical. It it could be something that they just call it now. That's true. I don't know. It just is one of those things where I was like, oh my gosh, that makes more sense. And I, <laughs> then I was thinking at, at it this way too, that like, so the stone dragons moving and migrating is what awoke them to know that now is the time, which means that Fitz actually is the catalyst in making dragons appear again, because without the stone dragons making the real serpents think it's time to change, then they wouldn't be moving by the time it is time to be cocooned. 
making that fit a little bit together more in that Verity wouldn't have finished the dragon without Fitz and that dragon leads the other Mm -hmm. dragons to where they need to be. Unfortunately, I don't think it is that though. I know, but it fits so (laughs) nicely if it was. But yeah, I guess if it is current times and they're following a provider, then it can't be the stone dragons because nobody's really seen them, at least in this area. Right. So the tangle is pretty content to follow this provider. I'm pretty sure it's a slave ship. Um, but Caesarea and Shriver are both kind of anxious for Malkin because they notice how distracted Malkin was. Even in the midst of feeding, he would abruptly cease feeding, hang motionless, gills pumping as he quested for some elusive scent. And sometimes Malkin would rise nearly to the lack and begin a twining dance with lidded eyes. At such times, Caesarea watched him almost as closely as she did. Over and over again, their leader knotted his body and then flowed through the knot, sensitizing the entire length of his skin to all the atmosphere could tell him. He would trumpet lightly and fitfully to himself, snatches of nonsense interspersed with holy lore. So he's confused. He's, he doesn't seem to know what's going on, and Shriver's getting more anxious about it, and she follows him as he's sinking down, non-challenging, and asks him, Malkin, has your vision failed? Are we lost? And he responds. He says, not merely a place, it is a time as well. And not just a time and place, but a tangle. A tangle such as has not been gathered since ancient times. I can almost scent a one who remembers. So this is where we learn that Malkin is not truly a one who remembers because Shriver asks him. And he says, no, not completely. I can almost remember. I know there is a place and a time and a tangle. When I experience them, I will know them without question. We are close, very close, Shriver. We must persevere and not doubt. So often the time has come and gone and we have missed it. I fear that if we miss it yet again, all our memories of the ancient times will fade, and we will never be as we were. So we learn here that these times have come and gone before, but the Tangles have not pursued it hard enough. They have not pursued it in the right places. They have not been at the right place in time with the right Tangle or the right gathering of things to make this happen, which is... I guess an answer in text, it's not, it's kind of vague, but it is an answer to why haven't they tried this before and why now they've had these feelings before that I think they must have quested out before, but they've never felt the urgency like Malkin has been feeling this urgency. Well, I don't even know if it's the urgency. I'm sure it's just like he said, lack of the things coming together. And mostly the reason for that is because the dragons died. There are no more dragons to lead them. There are no more dragons to cocoon them and make them go through the change process. There's no elderlings to mm-hmm. be on standby. So I think those external changes that they have no idea about are the reason why the time has come and passed over and over and over again. And the change. others have trapped she who remembers yep. that serpent that Wintrow finally frees. The Claris has killed all the remaining dragons and serpents that they can. Like there's, there's a lot of reasons why things are just being halted for the serpents. Yes. And it's really interesting to know that this is kind of the last chance, which kind of fits with the urgency that beloved always has to 
bring back the dragons that he's like, it has to happen now. We need to do the things now because maybe beloved also knows that they're, this is it. Like after this, they're just gone. If you don't fix it this time, there is no fixing it in the future. Yeah. And so I find that really interesting. I also think what's interesting and something that you kind of skipped over is that there's a lot of mention of the holy lore and what um, Shriver is talking about in their perspective of holy lore, that there's some type of religion with these serpents. Uh, Either that or just shared memories that all of them have because they... In the further conversation with Malkin, right. they talk about that, like, what were we once? And talks about how we are the masters of the lack and the plenty, and we all had one shared memory and all the memories of everything that was before. So I feel like it's something like that. It's something that they all share together from their time as dragons, but that has diminished so much that now it's like, this is everything, this is something that everyone remembers, but it's the only thing that everyone remembers. So this is like our holy... Right. Memory and holy lore kind of thing. But I do think it's interesting that part of the holy lore is that there is a transformation to go through. And the big thing that Shriver is upset about is that everybody seems to think that this time of growth and food abundant and warm waters is enough of it to fulfill that. That that's what it meant. And Shriver is kind of second guessing, like, am I taking it too literally? I thought we would actually change and this doesn't feel like a real change this feels like we're getting bigger and i think that's a really interesting thing to think about in the perspective of these creatures the serpents like because it kind of puts them above a regular animal right there's like some sort of knowledge and like train of thought and ideas and yet they're not i don't know if they're quite human level with their understanding of things, mm-hmm. it's still very animalistic, which they are beasts. So <laughs> I guess, but it also is interesting to think about how at one point all the dragons had all of each other's memories because they are each other, right? Yeah. All dragons to create a dragon, they use their memories and you eat each other. And so all of the intermingling, you would have everybody's life memories all in you. And we have a little bit of that in it seems like a rote kind of ritual that has happened multiple times. This is part of like the holy lore. Shriver is asking kind of pre-planned questions here and Malkin is responding. And the last one, after they talk about, you know, what were we? We were the masters. Then what happened? You know, it was time to be reshaped, blah, 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 blah. Mingle the essences of our bodies and thus create new beings. The last thing was, and what will happen next? All will come together at the time and the place of the gathering. All memory shall be shared again. All that was held safe by one shall be given back to all. The journey to rebirth shall be completed and we shall rise in triumph once more. So it shall be, Caesarea confirmed from nearby in the tangle, so it shall be. So she who remembers is pretty much the sole holder of all of the knowledge. It feels like, from according to their holy lore. Right. And I feel like there are, there are a few one who remembers throughout all of the tangles. You know, there, there's somebody or some serpents that have all of those memories and that's who leads them places. And Malkin has a remnant of that, it feels like. So he's leading them to a certain area and a certain time and place and he'll know it when he's there. 
but she who remembers who is trapped in the other's island has all of that. Yeah. Well, I would disagree slightly with what you're saying. I think this poses that there are some who somewhat remember and that they can like keep tangles together and make sure that they know when she who remembers arrives. But I don't think that means that there are multiple she they who remember. There's just one because it says the one will become the knowledge of all. So I think that means that there is just one and that's the one that is captured. So everybody else, Mm -hmm. there are some who somewhat remember, but yeah, be what you'd have to, you'd have to have that to be able to gather to one being. Yeah. But it does a little bit not make sense considering there were multiple cities about dragons and like that loved dragons. Yeah. So you would think that means that there'd be multiple nesting sites, which we know there, there are, are. There are multiple nesting sites, which that, which is why I think there are multiple one who remembers, but their holy lore says it it's one because that group of tangles only goes to one person. And then there might be another one with another group of tangles. So I wonder if that means then that there are just several generations of eggs that finally hatched into serpents. And because there was nothing to go to the next life cycle, there just now is too many one who remembers. And so it's muddying the waters. Um, that's not quite what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that with, with your talking about uh, how there's different areas different elderling cities, different dragon societies or whatever, serpent societies, that each of those areas will have a one who remembers for that generation of serpents. And that one is the one who guides them, who helps create all the, the stuff or whatever. Maybe it's a dragon itself. I don't know exactly how it works, whatever. One who holds all the memories of what they're saying. But the leaders of the Tangles, like Malkin, aren't truly one who remembers they're they're enough to get them to the correct place and that would be more solid in the past before the cataclysm before generations have passed they would have more solid memories but since claris and the cataclysm and everything was happening all of the other one who remembers have died been killed passed away or forgot their purpose or memories only the one that is left in other island that is trapped is the only one left now and i think the only chance to give all the memories back that's where that's what i think the story has come to but i think there were plenty there were more in the past but there's only one remaining now because of the events okay but if that is how you're thinking then how does the one still remember like what is different about that one that gives them the ability to hold on to those memories for so long? Magic stuff. No idea. Okay. <laughs> the one who remembers could be referring to Tintaglia, if this is like a prophecy kind of thing. Because she's the one that helps them. She's the only one that remembers, you know, past dragon lives, really, right now. Sure. I guess it doesn't feel like I, maybe I've said differently in the past. I don't know. But in this moment, it doesn't feel like the serpents can see the future. It feels like they just see the past and can relate that with the future and what to do next. Right. But you, yeah, like you said, you might have said something different in the past because the others use she who remembers to 
right. like look she, into the future kind of thing. And we've taken opposite sides of this conversation before. I know. Well, I think like she who remembers can maybe see into the future. I don't know. Like, it gets the, <laughs> uh, like I don't know how to explain this. I think there is only one she who remembers. And I think that she has the ability to see the past, present, future. But I don't think that there are any more that have died out. Like, I, unless we're saying that like one is born every generation like a white and those have been hunted down by the actual whites to make sure that they're gone and can't help the serpents in any way. And if they're all dead, that makes sense. But if every single tangle that was born was born with one, she who remembers that is a lot of she who remembers to just forget. Yeah. That's not what I was saying. I was saying like all of the tangles that have been migrating that Malkin's tangle has been talking about. Yeah. They had this one, the she who remembers in this area of the world, but this world is big. Like there are probably other areas that had other elderling cities and like dragon societies. There might've been, there might've been 10 in the world at one point. I don't know, whatever right. per generation, but the other ones all died due to the Claris thing. I'm not right. saying one per tangle, but I do want to remind you that there is only one place that dragons have babies and it's on the cursed shores. So all of the eggs are born there. I don't think so. That's like specifically mentioned. There were other nesting areas though. But nesting is whenever the serpents have, are trying to transform into dragons. That's not when the egg hatches into a serpent. So do you, do you think that the area, the land that we're talking about in these books is the only land in this world then basically? Well, I'm thinking about the size of a globe and I don't know, like, yeah, I I, I'm I talking about like the whole, whole globe or whole world. Like there's different things and, you right. know. Okay. So you're saying that there, there is another quote unquote cursed shores, like not the same, but same effect. Another nesting area. Well, it's something. not a nesting area. We can't call it a nesting area because nesting area is specifically to cocooning serpents into dragons and so it's not nesting for laying the eggs those are two separate what do you mean by cursed shores like makes that special because that it wasn't cursed shores before the cataclysm the cursed shores sorry i'm sorry not the cursed shores the island that has the others that's where all the dragons lay their eggs but that was where a uh sorry other island that was where an elderling city was Cause it's right off the coast That's true. underneath. So did it happen at other elderling cities on the water? But then that doesn't make sense because, okay, hear me out. This is why I'm saying this doesn't make sense. Why would they all lay their egg there to become a serpent, but then have that serpent transform and nest do the cocoon at a completely different elderling city. If each elderling city gets their own tangle of dragons. I'm not that's I'm not strict in saying like each elderling city has their own tangle either. Okay. You know, there's like whole societies. We've talked about this. Yes. Like uh, people have commented in too, saying like the elderling city in uh, Kelsingra mm-hmm. and as Lovejall might have been the same society because I think Pearl Cop was talking about as Lovejall being like a summer getaway. Right. OK. Like these areas or kingdoms. Mm hmm could have focused on their own, you know, like tribes basically or sure. kingdoms. Okay. And those areas might've had different tangles or like groups of dragons and serpents. Okay. I'm not so you saying think... like each city has its own tangle. Okay. Sorry. I, 
This was made more unnecessarily complicated by yeah. me saying cursed shores when I meant other island. Okay, yeah, it, it did. <laughs> that yeah, was very confused. <laughs> but yeah, I think what does make sense to me is like, then where are those parts of the world? And like, why haven't we heard about the tangles over there? Like, I guess obviously because we're stuck in this part of the world, we yeah. don't know anything it's, about any other part of the world. Questions we're never going to get answered. Like, yeah. is there more to the world or is it basically nothing? You know, I mean, we don't know. I don't know. It's, to be fair, wherever beloved grew up is f- super far away from Claris, which is super far away from where we are now. So yeah. maybe this is like, we're currently in like Europe and then like <laughs> the Claris is at like North America. And then. Well, technically the six duchies is an upside down map of Alaska. Right. But I'm saying like distance wise, I if know, we yeah, say six yeah. duchies is Europe, then Claris would be North America and South America. And then Australia would be wherever beloved lived. Right. <laughs> so, so there could be more stuff. That's all I'm saying. I don't know for sure. Okay, sure. It's, It's stuff that we'll never get answers to. So, I don't know. Interesting conversations about how serpents are, how their magic works and their memories work. It's just like, there's so many of them too. That, that's another thing I think that I don't understand. There has to be like thousands of them. So did they all just gather in this side of the world and now whatever, or... Are there hundreds of thousands total? You know what I mean? Right. Like, and this could be multiple generations, too, that are just kind of sticking around. They couldn't find the nesting grounds. Right. But then... Because of the cataclysm. How long does it take for an egg to hatch? Right. And, like, there's yeah. that. And how many generations could have possibly been laid after, you know? Yeah. I guess the dragons were around for a little bit after the cataclysm. So, yeah, potentially, they could have still been trying to have children. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well... That kind of ends that chapter there. Mostly about Malta. We had a long talk about serpents too, though. Interesting one. It sets up future conversations and conflicts with Bingtown in the background, but also the main Malta character arc as well. And her obvious folly as a child by not understanding all the things her family has been warning her about the realities of being a quote unquote woman. That you can't just talk to people. You can't just be alone with a man. That means something else. Mm -hmm. So thanks so much for tuning in this week. If you have any thoughts about the serpents, where they come from, or about Malta, please let us know and email us directly at isfitshappy at gmail.com. Or you can message us, DM us, or comment on our posts on Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, and Twitter. Isfitshappy on all of those as well. Okay, so now we're going to quick talk about two little things. We've done a lot of conver- uh, conversation in this episode, so we'll keep them short. The first thing that we have to talk about is a comment or I guess a message we got from Amir on Instagram. And it was just that he believes that the charm does love Etta. Yep. And- oh, I know we've had conversations about, you know, how much the charm truly knows or takes after Kenneth or anything like that. Right. And what constitutes as it being its own being versus Kenneth. And from the understanding we get, and he does say that there are some references and more context in later books, later books 
So um, we'll have to go off that and look for that going forward. But um, we know that he has gotten the parts of Kennet that are not forged. And so he doesn't have that stopping his ability to do certain things. Yeah. So Amir says that the charm and Kennet both love Etta, but Kennet's forging kind of stands in that way. And therefore the charm hates Kennet for how he treats Etta. Right. So yeah, yeah, it's something to look forward, uh, look for in the other books. Right. And definitely a good thing to know that we're not crazy for thinking that potentially he does. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So thank you, Amir. And then the last thing that we're going to talk about is a comment on Facebook from Ellen. Yeah. And Ellen is commenting on our last episode, episode 137, about chapter 23, specifically about uh, Wintrow and walking through that slave market, how Emma was talking about <laughs> how Wintrow is judging the slaves by, the, by their looks. Right. And how I was a little upset at Wintrow for assuming that just because they were map face slaves, that meant that they would be more dangerous and more willing to lure him in to beat him up or to sell him for a ransom or something. Um, But it was pointed out by Ellen that it's actually pretty good of him to not be as naive as usual and to take in his surroundings and know that they don't necessarily have innocent intentions just because they're asking for him as a priest. True. Yeah. So Ellen was a little bit proud of him for not being as naive and good hearted as he normally is. I know we were ragging on him quite a bit during that that discussion as well for being pretty stupid and not running away. But in terms of his actions with the slaves, yeah, he is judging them by a cover, but he recognizes it is a dangerous place. Even if that assumption is maybe coming from the wrong spot. At least it's a good assumption or a good caution to have. Yeah. And I not mean, showing it, but being wary of a possibility. Right. And I guess that is fair to think about that probably in that situation, those people are a little bit more desperate than people with less yeah. tattoos on their face, maybe. And even though it's a horrible thought to think, it is wise of him to be wary of people calling him on the street but i feel like you should maybe just be wary of anybody calling to him on the side of the street yeah not just slaves that happen to have more tattoos than others so thank you ellen for that insight and having us think about it in that way that does help a little bit um, and thank you to everybody who writes in as always we love hearing from you and we look forward to hearing what you say next week 